God never forces himself upon us. He invites, he calls, he yearns for us, he desires us. But at some point in time, it becomes an invitation for us to respond as opposed to uh, him forcing us to do anything, even to experience things. And I think that is just as much as true when we talk about freedom as it is anything else. God created us to be free. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, you get this image of, of our first mother and father being free in the garden to experience and enjoy all the gifts of God. And that is God's plan for his people, to be free and to experience his freedom. And he yearns for us to know that freedom. He desires us to know that freedom. But ultimately, we have to respond to that invitation. Do we want it or not? One of the reasons I think that sometimes we wrestle with freedom is that we, we don't always know exactly what freedom is. And when we read the book of Galatians, Paul is talking a lot about freedom. He says in chapter 4, in the passage we just read, that we have, we, he wants us to experience the kind of freedom where we know him intimately, that we can call him Abba Father. We have that kind of relationship with him. But he also says in chapter 5, verse 1, that it's for freedom that you've been set free. And in this freedom, we experience relationship with God. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 19, that, that, Christ, that he wants Christ to be developed in us. He says, I'm going to keep working with you and pleading with you and, and trying to convince you until I see Christ fully developed in you. And that is God's desire for us. And that is freedom because we are so filled with the spirit that Christ lives in us. We use a lot of terms to describe that. One of the terms we use is holiness. That God wants us to be holy, to be like Christ, to be filled with the spirit. And that is knowing freedom. The problem is we struggle with freedom. There's something in us that believes we can arrange that better than God can. There is a sense of security maybe that we feel when we have figured out life as opposed to a life that is trusting God. I read about a man who had been in prison for years. He was 70 years old and he was up before the parole board and they offered him parole. With tears streaming down his face, he said, I don't want it. I've been in prison so long, I don't know if I could survive outside. And you hear stories like that and you think, wow, are you kidding me? Who would make that kind of decision? Who would do that? It makes me think of the Israelites as they have, God goes into, sends Moses to Egypt and they're enslaved for 400 years. And he sends Moses and through the plagues, he brings them out of Egypt and parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land to freedom. And it isn't very long before they're complaining to God that they don't like what God is doing for them. And what do they say? We were better off in Egypt. Really? Did you forget what it was like in Egypt? But this is human nature. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, look, you experienced freedom. You were free in Christ. Why would you go back to the slavery, the bondage that you were in before? 
And I think he's asking every one of us because we are continually struggling with that same kind of bondage. A lot of it comes down to what we see as the priority, as the focus, as the motivation for our, for our lives in Christ. Paul says it's the Spirit in us. When the Spirit is in you, the motivation for life becomes relationship with God. It is about trusting God. It's about love and compassion and grace. But there are people who have come from Jerusalem, Jewish Christians who have come to the churches in Galatia and have said, if you really want to know the blessing of God, if you really want that next experience of God, if you want to know the fullness of God in your life, then you have to follow the law. You have to follow the rules. You have, to, you have to obey. In fact, what you have to do is live in perfect obedience. Paul says, if you're, going to do, if you're going to do one part of the law, you've got to do all the part of the law, all the parts of the law. And it becomes about perfect obedience, about doing exactly everything that we're supposed to do. We create these checklists of rules and laws about how we are to perfectly obey. And the problem with that is that none of us are perfect. And so we keep living in despair and falling short. And so we keep making more lists so that we can maybe feel like we're being perfect. And it's back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God says to Adam, don't eat from the fruit of this one tree. By the time it gets to Eve and the serpent talking, Eve says... We're not allowed to touch the tree. Which means that probably what has taken place is they've said, we're not sure we can keep from eating the tree, eating the fruit if we touch the tree. So let's make the rule wider. We can't touch the tree. Because if we don't touch the tree, we won't eat the fruit. And then it be, I would suspect if it kept going, it would be, all right, let's not look at the tree. Because if we look at the tree, we're going to be tempted to touch the tree. And if we touch the tree, we're going to be tempted to eat the fruit. And then they have a hard time keeping themselves from looking at the tree. So then they say, let's build, we're not allowed to go within 500 yards of the tree. Because if we don't go within 500 yards of the tree, then we won't be able to see the tree. And then we won't be able to touch the tree. And then we won't be able to eat the fruit. And just continues and continues and continues. And that's what the Jewish people had done with their law. They took the law of God to Moses and kept expanding it and expanding it. And what ends up happening is the core law that God intended, the the core of it, the real point of it, gets lost in all the rules and all the checklists and all the forms. And they become most important. And this is what becomes perfect obedience. And it has nothing to do anymore with what God intended. And so you have these discussions of Jesus and the religious leaders about what you can do on the Sabbath. Because in that day, it became The laws about the Sabbath were so involved that you had to count how many steps you took because you could only take so many steps on the Sabbath or you broke the law. And here's Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath healing people, and he's chastised for that. How do you get from the one command in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to, hey, there are six other days to be healing people. Don't be doing that kind of stuff on the Sabbath. Really? It reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. I think a part of that story is related to this. Man is on the road, he's beaten, robbed, left half dead. And here come the religious leaders walking by, and they both go to the other side of the road and walk past him. And it doesn't tell us why, but part of me, I suspect, something of it has to do with if they go over and touch him, he might be dead. 
And if they touch him, a dead body, you are now unclean and you can't go worship in the, te- in the temple anymore. And it's more important for them to follow the rules and be able to worship in the temple than to help a man who is dying. And that's what happens to us. We get lost in the rules. And the, and the checklist and the rules become more important. And we begin to think, that's, this is what holiness looks like. And, and at the same time, we can do all of that and ignore people in need. One of the things you find when you're following rules, when you've got a checklist, when, that, when that's what's most important, when that's what's motivating you, you always end up with a judgmental, critical spirit toward other people. Because the rules we create, we want everybody else to follow those same rules. It's never just enough for us. It always is judging other people. They're not doing that. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And we feel obligated to tell them that. It's always bigger than that. And we lose, in that judgmental, critical spirit, we lose our joy. We lose the joy of the Lord because it's really about, because holiness is being filled with the spirit. And where the spirit is, there is freedom and there is joy. And so Paul says in chapter 4, 12 to 16, he says to them, when I first came to you, we had a great relationship. In fact, I was sick and you took care of me and you loved me and you, and you did everything I needed. He says, where's that, where's that going? What's happened to you? Where's your joy? And this translation adds, where's your generosity and your gratitude? And the thing about following rules, the thing about being chained to feeling like we have to be perfect... Not only does it lead to a critical spirit, it leads us away from joy and it leads us away from generosity and away from gratitude. I have never yet met anyone who had the spirit of perfectionism and they were generous people. Now they might give, but they're not really generous people. And they give begrudgingly. I think this is part of what Paul is talking about when he tells the Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a giver who gives because their heart has been touched by the Spirit. And because they're not worried about rules and laws. They just are generous. People who are into rules and laws say, I give 10%, I'm done, period. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit Say, how much can I give and still live? It's such a contrast. And there's such a danger in living with, with, the, uh, with the rules and living that mindset because it's never just about us. It's always about other people. And because it's about other people, we are leading other people down the path that we are walking. And we start imposing our rules on them. And we start causing them to think that this is what it means to be holy. This is what it means to be, to be what God wants us to be. It is all about perfectionism and rules. And we create an atmosphere in their lives that is unhealthy because it's unhealthy in our lives. Paul says to them, who tripped you up? You're running this race so well. Who tripped you who, got, who cut in front of you? Who grabbed you? Who drug you down? Those people are going to face the penalty of God. Serious accusation. 
It makes me think of what Jesus says in Matthew 18 and Mark has it in his ninth chapter and Luke in his 17th chapter where he says, Woe to you who lead any of these innocent, vulnerable, spiritually needy people away from the truth. It would be better if you had a huge millstone tied around your neck and someone threw you into the, into the sea. So the question that has been going through my mind is, what are the rules? What are the, what are the laws? What are the forms? What are the legalisms that we wrestle with now? When I was young, it was all about um, the length of women's dresses and about whether you wore jewelry or not or about if men let their hair grow long or had facial hair or women cut their hair. We had all these rules about what you could wear, what you could do, what you couldn't do. If you, at one point, it was, it, was, it was wrong to own a television or wrong to go to movies. And we have all of these things, all these rules, but I don't know that we wrestle with that kind of stuff so much anymore. And so I was meeting with a group of people this week and we were talking about what are the things that we wrestle with? What are the things that we put on our checklist that says, this looks like holiness. This is how we judge people. And it made, in our conversation, it made me remember something one of my professors at Gordon-Conwell said. He told about a pastor friend who had found that journaling was such a great help to him spiritually. He journaled every day, writing down what he heard God saying to him and his thoughts and just, you know, about God in his life. And it was just such a powerful tool to help him mature in his faith. He said the problem was every time he spoke about journaling, you had the feeling if you didn't journal, you couldn't really be a spiritual person. And he said that's taking an experience we've had and making it a principle. Now, is journaling, can journaling be awesome? Yes. But the minute we say, if you don't journal, or even give the impression, if you don't journal, then you're never going to be what God wants you to be. We have now made that one of the rules. Paul says to them in chapter 4, verse 8, you used to worship idols before you came to faith in Christ. And those idols you controlled. And you manipulated, and they were almost like magic to you. If you do exactly what you're supposed to do, you follow the ritual, then the gods have to give you what you want. He says, now you've really gone back to idols. But now your idols are these spiritual rules that you've made. The problem is, the second, the spiritual rules are more dangerous than the idols. Because when you're worshiping at the temple of Zeus, everybody knows that you're probably not a follower of Jesus. But if you're saying, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like, these are the rules that you have to follow in order if you want to know the blessing of God, that looks like it's spiritual stuff. And it's a lot more deceptive. And so it doesn't matter if we're talking about other spiritual disciplines, like you have to pray a certain amount every day, or you're just not going to get there, or you have to read your Bible a certain amount every day, or you're just not going to be holy, you go to church X number of times a week or you're not going to be holy. And all these things are good until we make a law out of them. 
last Friday, week ago Friday, I was, uh, I got up in the morning and my routine is typically to walk or to run. And while I do that, I pray. I use that time to, to pray while I'm out exercising. And, and I got up that morning and I've really been wrestling with my sermon that week. It just wasn't coming together. I was struggling with it, what to say, what not to say, the order, how to fit it all together. And I was almost getting to the point of panicking a little bit about it happening. This is Friday morning and, you know, time is getting close. And um, so I start out running and, and uh, as I typically do, I'm starting to pray. And as I'm doing that, I start thinking about these ideas are coming to me about my sermon. And I'm thinking, I can't think about my sermon right now because I'm, this is my time to pray. And so I need to pray. I need to go through my prayer list. And these ideas keep coming to me. And I'm thinking, and the, the Lord is saying to me, okay, I've got some things to help you with your sermon. And I'm saying to him, I can't listen to those right now. It's time for me to pray. I have to pray. And, and, I'm, and I'm praying and then all these ideas are flooding my mind. And I'm sitting there just almost on stop and just say, okay, what do I do here? And it's as though the Spirit said to me, it's okay. You just give me all this stuff that you normally pray about. I'll handle it. This is a time for me to talk to you about your sermon. And it took me a little bit of time to feel comfortable with that. Because I felt a little bit guilty that I wasn't doing my routine. I wasn't following the rule that I had set up myself. It wasn't even God's rule. It was my own rule. But it had become so ingrained into my understanding of, my, of encountering God that it became such a big rule. And I let it go and let God speak to me. And there was great freedom in that. Do we need to pray? Of course we do. Read our scriptures? Of course we do. Come to worship? Of course we do. Is journaling a good thing? Yeah, it can be an awesome thing. As long as we don't look at it as a rule, we check off our list. But rather as something we come to in order to experience God and to hear God. To speak to God, to listen to God. You think about your life. What are those rules that you wrestle with? And how might God be saying to you, yeah, I want you to do this, but maybe in a little different spirit. I want it to be something that's not a rule you check off a list. It's not magic that you somehow can use to manipulate me. But it's about relationship with me. That's really what it always comes back to. Paul says to to the Galatians that What you're really doing when you live your life and you think that holiness and the blessing of God comes through rules. What you're really saying is what Christ did for us was awesome. It was good. It was powerful. It was wonderful. It's just not quite enough. Because unless I do what I need to do, unless I follow the rules... I'll never get to what God wants me to be. I mean, Jesus gave us a great start. Jesus gave us a great foundation. But I've got to build it from here. And Paul says, when you start thinking like that, 
you've really cut yourself off from Christ. You've in essence said, Christ is really not all that necessary. No wonder it's so dangerous. No wonder Paul's so confrontational. And that's why in the end of chapter 5, verse 1, he says, don't put this, we put this yoke of slavery on you. And it made me think of what Peter says in Acts 15. As they're having this council about how to handle the Gentiles and the Jews. And, and he says, let's not put this yoke of slavery on these Gentiles that our ancestors and us have never been able to bear. Why would we put that yoke on them? And I suspect the reason Peter said that was because in the back of his mind, he heard echoing the words of Jesus that are recorded in Matthew 11, that he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because in Christ, there is his presence of joy and freedom. David Siemens tells in one of his books about a woman named Claire who wrestled for most of her life with perfectionism and failure and falling short and demands. And he was counseling with her and working with her. And and one day she said to him, this is how I picture my life. I feel like Samson in the Old Testament. And, and not Samson being strong, but Samson after he, they, the Philistines had captured him and enslaved him. And he, every day they, they chained him to the wheel that ground the grain for them to eat. And he spent his day walking around that wheel and grinding the grain of his greatest enemies. Day after day after day. And she said, that's what I feel like my life is. And I feel like there's more and more demands on me and I have to get, keep going faster and faster and faster and be stronger and stronger every day around this wheel. And I get to the end of the day and I look at what I've accomplished and what I've produced and it's nothing. And she says, I, I, I just despair. No wonder Samson pulled the whole building down on himself at the end. And David Seaman says, I, I looked at her and I thought about what to say to her. And said, and all of a sudden, the words of Jesus in the fourth chapter of Luke came to my mind. And I looked her in the eye and I said to her, here's what Jesus is saying to you. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me. To give freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to release the oppressed and to declare the year of the Lord's favor and goodness. That's God's word to us. He created us to be free, not enslaved. To live in the freedom of life with him. He's inviting us for the first time, maybe for multiple times, to be free.
and to know his joy and his grace and his love. Holy Father, we thank you for the freedom you desire for us. Whatever today may be chaining us, whatever those rules and laws and perfectionistic tendencies are enslaving us, set us free through the grace of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.